Welcome to Exploring Boys Education, the International Boys Schools Coalition monthly podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Collins. Together with thought leaders and educators from around the world, we'll dive deep into the evolving landscape of boys education. We'll discuss its challenges and highlight the innovations driving its future. So whether you're a school leader, teacher, parent, or just someone interested in the world of boys education, this is the place to be. In this episode, we focus on inclusivity and understanding in boys' education with Laura Sabo from St. Christopher's School, Virginia in the United States and Justine Collier from the Scots College, Sydney in Australia. We discuss the importance of research-led practices with Laura, who also leads the IBSC Action Research Program, and we highlight the importance of inclusivity in boys' schools with Justine. Justine's insights emanate from her role as head of the Indigenous Education Program at the Scots College. In her award-winning IBSC Action Research Project, Justine focused her attention on the impact of Indigenous mentors using cultural practices to build relationships with and an understanding of Indigenous masculinities in a group of Indigenous Australian boys who board at the Scots College. The insights she will share later in this episode have broad appeal and are relevant for boys' schools everywhere. Before we dive in, however, let's catch up on the latest IBSC newsreel with IBSC Executive Director Tom Batty. Thank you, Bruce, and welcome to all our newsreel listeners, whether you are shading from the sun or trying to remember what it looks like. I'm going to start the newsreel with a few highlights and pointers. Firstly, I offer encouragement to read the latest edition of Compass, which has just been posted. It highlights recent great works of IBSC schools and IBSC endeavours to champion the many benefits of boys' education. Next, and with fitting drumroll, following a successful conversation and panel discussion with middle leaders in boys' schools, On the 5th of February, IBSC is launching a new online class, Mastering Middle Leadership in Boys' Schools. It is facilitated by Hal Hannaford, and moving to Hal's rhythmic resonant beat is sure to be a not-to-miss PD opportunity for middle leaders' calendars. More information is available on the IBSC website. And for my final highlight, I draw attention to the success of the Exploring Boys Education podcast, which in the course of November reached 25,000 unique downloads. I mention this rather than leaving it to Bruce because the podcast is fruit of his mind and labours and its success is his success. Well done, Bruce. At the conclusion of this newsreel, Bruce is speaking with Laura Sabo and Justin Kuliu about the IBSC Action Research Programme and how Justin's project helped to grow a more supportive, affirming environment for Indigenous young men off-country at the Scots College in Sydney. As you will hear, the lessons Justin learned are pertinent for all boys' schools as they ponder how each student connects their inner self to that which they observe and those they live with along their journey for belonging, identity and purpose. Before handing back to Bruce, I'd like to bring holiday greetings to all lending ear to Newsreel. 
Thank you for bringing the festive spirit of goodwill to your IBSC, for sharing your gifts so others prosper, and for your enthusiasm to learn from the journeys of others. Many benefit from your generosity of mind and spirit. I hope the festive season brings celebration and calm in desired ratio. With that, Bruce, it's back to you, Justine and Laura. So it's a privilege to speak to wonderful educators, people I've got to know over a period of time, uh, people who have inspired so many of us in IBSC. And so Laura and Justine, it's wonderful to have you on the podcast uh, for this very important conversation. Um, and and I'm really excited to to share, you know, to hear you share, particularly Justine, about your research and your work with boys and how you're supporting um, boys in your role. And Laura as well, just to highlight how, I mean, I know Justine was busy with a lot of this stuff before her action research project, but also to acknowledge the role of action research in in the growth of, of um, Justine's understanding of her role and the shaping of some new thoughts around that. So just really excited to to dive into this. But before we get into that conversation, I'd love for you both just to share a little glimpse into your lives at school. So maybe we'll start with you, Justine, just share a little bit about where you're based and what you do at school and uh, and 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 what you love about what you do. Yep. Yeah, so my name's Justine Colliu. I'm currently at the Scots College in Sydney, Australia, and I am Head of Indigenous Education. So that role sort of covers the um, from the prep school right through to the senior school, but my main uh, role in that program is looking after the Indigenous borders in the um, secondary school. So there's 17 Indigenous boys that board at the college from all over Australia and the Torres Strait. Um, coming from a range of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander backgrounds. And my role is to look after them in terms of their pastoral care, academic needs, and ensuring that their families are connected as well to the school and feel like they're part of the community. And then um, a major part as well as well is the um, their feelings of connectedness to country and culture, which was a lot of what my action research project was about. Laura, what about you? You um, are on the other side of the world. Yes, yes. So I work at St. Christopher's School in Richmond, Virginia. We are a JK junior kindergarten through grade 12 school of approximately a thousand boys. And I work in our lower school. I have the privilege of being a teacher librarian for our boys JK through five. And, you know, that is the place to be. Wouldn't want to be anywhere else. However, I do go across um, to our upper school and our Center for Study of Boys a couple times a week. I am also a research coordinator. So I am working to promote a research culture in our school. And also leading the action research team for IBSC. Did I mention that? I am also program coordinator for action research. So, um what a wonderful opportunity. I get to work with educators from around the world, an amazing group of um, team advisors, and I learn every day um, through the research that these, you know, very talented 
educators are conducting in their own schools. As you've seen people go through the program, how how has the Action Research Program benefited both the teacher researchers who are uh, participating, but also as a knock-on effect, their schools? So when these teachers embark on an action research project, it really allows them to learn with and from the boys that they teach. The boys are active participants in the research and they recognize that their voice matters. And so this relational bond between the student teacher is strengthened through these projects. Um, A well-researched change in the teacher's pedagogy can improve their effectiveness in the classroom and beyond. Whether, you know, some of these researchers coming back, it might be a change that has influence within their grade level, their department, sometimes a division, sometimes school-wide, which is really exciting. We hear that participation in the program can help promote a culture of reflection and research within the school community for the boys and the teachers. They're being role models um, for for their students, for sure. And then, of course, I, I have to highlight one of my very favorite benefits of this program. It, it's the relationships, the personal learning communities that result. Um, as a member of an action research cohort, you are developing relationships that, that can foster and um, open your eyes to global perspectives. You have robust scholarly conversations um, with fellow boys school colleagues. It is a unique experience and um, it can really lead to innovative change in a teacher's practice and within the school. And of course, I know firsthand, one of the wonderful things is these relationships, they don't end when involvement with the program ends. Um, Many of these teachers just continue their personal and professional relationships for years and years. Um, We see that this experience has really inspired a lot of teachers to go on and continue their professional growth through master's programs, PhD programs, um, and then within their schools. It can often be kind of put them on a promotional track within their school. So I I am so proud of the teachers that have gone through this program and, and many have gone on to do amazing um, things within their schools. One of my favorite uh, topics was the topic that um, Justine's cohorts explored. And that was the whole idea of shattering stereotypes, particularly around uh, masculinity and helping boys uh, cultivate healthy masculinity. As you and the team were speaking through what the topic would be for the 22-23 action research cycle, what was the motivation behind this focus on cultivating healthy masculinity? Why why was this important for IBSC schools at this juncture in history? Sure. That's a great question, Bruce. Uh, You know, if we go back to 2021, when we were settling in and and on this next topic, we were very aware of this toxic masculinity message. It was getting a massive amount of media attention globally. 
And, you know, sadly for our boys, the phrase focuses on the worst aspects of masculine traits and behaviors. It's confusing to continuously hear these damaging, narrow views, um, especially if the boys begin to subscribe to the pressures, Um, you know, feeling, for example, that maybe they need to be self-sufficient to act tough, physically attractive, um, stick to rigid gender roles, these types of things. Um, and, And then on top of it, remember, we're coming out of a pandemic and that we are experiencing a social climate that that was quite divisive. And so we recognize that in through our discussions that, you know, our, our students are experiencing pressures that had not been seen for generations. And we knew that we had a responsibility to help the boys and the young men in our care navigate masculinity. So, so we were, we were really, um, focused on the positive, this healthy masculinity. And we were excited at the potential to create spaces for change that would focus on these positive behaviors as opposed to emphasizing the negative masculine stereotypes. So you've really whet our appetite there, uh, Laura. And I think I would point uh, the folk who are listening to this podcast to um, the IBSC websites and IBSC member center because all these great reports are are available there. And I think there's so much there for folk in boys' schools to dive into to get ideas of how they might implement um, some of these interventions in, in their own environments. But more importantly, I'd love to get to um, speaking to Justine. Laura, what was it about Justine's project that really stood out as the kind of project that would have impact beyond the walls of her school and and in the wider IBSC community. I just have to say Justine shined. She she received this award for completion of an innovative action research project. It was of what we consider the highest standard and she really um, provided a valuable contribution to the IBSC action research community. We noted that that her research was driven truly by her recognition of the issues created when Indigenous Australian boys attend a school off country. Um, and so this was something that 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 she recognized within her school and she took it the next step, thoroughly explored relevant literature around this topic. She had an extremely well-planned intervention collected robust amount of data from wide range of stakeholders, which I'm I'm excited for her to talk about all of this. Um, And she conducted deliberate and insightful data analysis. These are the things we're looking at. And it did not hurt that she is an extremely strong writer. So we just, this is the type of project that demonstrates the power of action research to um, identify a potential change at a local level and to support that implementation in a systematic and meticulous manner. And she, you know, hats off to her because she she just embraced the process and came up with a amazing project. That's a wonderful way to transition, Laura, into um, just hearing from Justine and and. Uh, her insights. But before I 
um, we dive into these questions, Justine. I think what I have loved about uh, your project, um, both hearing you speak about it passionately, but also in reading um, about your research. I think while your project was rooted in a specific context and um, was answering the need of um, a specific group of boys, there, I think there's so many transferable lessons uh, to schools around the world who might have a similar dynamic where there are boys in their environments who might feel uh, marginalized if they're not cared for and looked after in ways that are affirming and underpin who they are rather than expecting them to assimilate into um, an environment. And so uh, one of the core things um, that you implemented in this project was employing Indigenous mentors. I wonder if you could elaborate um, for us on, on what that process was like and how similar approaches, this idea of, of, of being mentored by someone who, who really deeply understands who you are as a, as a boy, how might other schools learn from, from your approach in terms of supporting um, boys who might feel marginalised in their communities? Thanks, Bruce. Um, so I was actually chatting with someone the other day about this in regards to our international students um, that board here at Scots. So although very different situations, there's a lot of similarities um, in their experiences um, and like when comparing them to the experiences of the in international students to those of the Indigenous boys boarding off country and feelings of disconnect is high on that list. Um, and I was actually thinking back to when I was in high school, you know, probably in year seven, year eight, so around 12, 13 years old, and learning about Australia's multicultural society. And one of the girls in my class asked the teacher, why don't why don't they just blend in? They always seem to stick together. Why do they always have to make everything like they're back home? And the teacher's response has stuck with me all these years. And she said that, think about it, if you were in a foreign country and did not speak the language or know the customs, the first thing you would do is seek out um, seek out those that do understand you and not just on a language level but intrinsically and once you have that security then you can begin to make your own way in that new environment um, so the international students have a need to not only part of the Scots community but they also have their own need to have like a safe place and connections with people that understand them and that's first and sort of foremost and so um, for example, within our school, we have a large population of Chinese students. And um, after having this conversation, I, I did a quick search and I just typed in Chinese communities in Sydney, for example, and multiple organisations and groups came up. And I guess that's that's exactly what I did when I was seeking out mentors and things for the Indigenous boys here. Um, so getting back to your question, I think that's how similar approaches in other boys' schools could be utilised by connecting with those sort of communities and things. They're all present around your school. It's just a matter of finding them and connecting with them and utilising them um, in those very, I guess, and particularly in the secondary years and those really important developing years as they're um, growing up and becoming men. Um, yeah, so connect with these groups, get them involved with your students. I simply facilitated the connecting of the boys with the mentors and the magic happened from there in a really natural way. 
you looked a lot in your study at, at the challenges faced by indigenous boys attending boarding schools off country in particular. And I remember I was at one stage of border house master here in South Africa and boys would come to our school on, on scholarship would be a very different environment. And I remember one boy sort of profoundly explaining it to me as if he said, he said to me, it feels like I have a foot in two worlds and I'm not really understood in either of those worlds. You know, there's this, there's this real tension and this challenge and and in particular the focus on on cultural guidance and not losing the essence of of who one is it, from your experience both in this project and also in the work that you do on a daily basis with indigenous boys how would you suggest that boys schools can better integrate cultural education and support systems to address this gap or this tension both in boarding and non-boarding environments i think while boarders are there all the time, I think there are there are many boys who who aren't in boarding who might feel similarly marginalised. Yeah, so um, this is a huge and complex question. <laughs> so I'll do my best to kind of, I guess, summarise some key practical supports. Um, and also I just want to sort of acknowledge that I'll be speaking in terms of Australia and, um, and our Indigenous people, um, but as we said, Many of these issues facing our Indigenous people in Australia are similar to First Nations people over the all over the world. Um, so, I sort of um, broke it up into, I guess, curriculum and then um, and then in teacher training. So, in terms of curriculum, I think um, it's really important to understand that the Australian education system and Western education systems in general were never designed with First Nations students in mind. Um, and that uh, they struggle a lot in that system. And it's only recently that things are starting to change and we're seeing more success. So um, Aboriginal people have been successfully living in Australia for at least 65,000 years. They're the oldest continuous culture on earth and there's a reason for that. And um, I want to acknowledge that there are hundreds of individual Aboriginal nations and cultures across Australia However, there are commonalities that exist in the way that knowledge was passed on and children learn. And we can learn from that and we can incorporate some of those practices in our teaching, in our curriculum. So there's now a big push in Australia um, for Indigenous perspectives to be incorporated in the curriculum, but in an authentic manner. And that's, that is key. And that's probably the part that teachers find most difficult as well. Um, so there's many organisations that offer support in this as well as resource and, yeah, the key is that authenticity. So, again, it's about reaching out to those organisations around you. There's so much um, people out there who are willing to help, resources, um, and I think it comes back as well to realising as a teacher it's your responsibility. Um, a lot of people who I've spoken to just sort of want to almost like a tick in the box and they just want to call up someone and hand it over to someone else but as an educator it's your responsibility to um, develop your own sort of knowledge and and you need to be implementing these changes and these practices um, and if the curriculum is inclusive research shows that Indigenous students are more likely to progress and learn and to um, do well in school so and in terms of um, the boarding program and things so something um that I've started uh, after the Action Research Project um, uh, 
was I was talking to my families again and about this and they loved the fact that um, the boys had this safe place somewhere special for them um, and so in terms of these mentors and they sort of discussed, you know, it would be great if other boys could be involved, um, non-Indigenous students for their sort of personal learning, but at the same time they love it that the boys have got something special for them so they didn't want to sort of take that away. So we thought, well, we can, what about we add something else? Um and so we have a, um, a boarding house that is just uh, for our 12, 13-year-old boys in their first year of secondary school. And so what we've started now is a um, weekend camp program, which is a cultural immersion camp for those boys in that boarding house. So they come out with all the Indigenous boys and some um, local men on country and they do some activities together and learning. And that's at the very first weekend of the year. Um so as a bonding sort of experience and just a way for to sort of get that started and for them to understand that they've got boys in their boarding house that are Indigenous and that come from um, various areas over Australia and just sort of helps get that conversation going. And also it's a really positive experience. A lot of the media attention in Australia is um, often the negative side of things. And so as one of my boys put it, he said, I want, I want the other boys to see the really cool side of Indigenous culture and so that's what that's about giving them that really cool experience and um, yeah it's been proving to be really really beneficial um, and then so I guess the other side of it as I said is is teacher training and cultural competency training so I guess a result of not having Indigenous perspectives in the curriculum until very recently is our current teachers are lacking in knowledge and experience and often quite scared to go down that path, afraid of making a mistake um, and just a general lack of sort of knowledge and understanding. So universities are now incorporating a lot of Indigenous perspectives and cultural competency training in their courses. But again, that leaves thousands of practising teachers currently <laughs> who miss out on that. Um, and so um, what is now being offered by um through governments, through um, local Indigenous um, land councils and things, is cultural competency training, which schools can um, provide for their staff. And the, the training covers um, a, a broad sort of spectrum of things, key cultural differences, how to connect with local communities um, and involve communities, even simple things like how to um, select appropriate resources and things and ensure that um, what you're using um, in your classes is appropriate. Um, and I guess due to colonisation, um, the ongoing effects are, um, are passed on in what is now known as intergenerational trauma. And so there's a lot of training around that and um, working with students and supporting in terms of that pastoral care and understanding the issues that they might be facing. Um, yeah, so they need to be aware of this and how to best support their students' needs in this regard. And then the last thing I wanted to say was um, having high expectations. There's a lot of studies um, being done that show that teachers, for some reason, or well, lots of reasons, um, have lower expectations of our Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander students um, and compared to the other students in their class. And as a result, they underperform. Um, so it's their implicit biases and attitudes that have that um, direct correlation with the student's performance. And so making teachers aware of this, because it's not that it's 
a bunch of racist teachers out there that just think Indigenous students can't learn. It's, yeah, as I said, it's these implicit biases. You don't even realise it. Um, and I've had many conversations with staff here at Scott's and just encouraging them and saying, you know, it's it's okay to follow up on this student about this. If they haven't done this, you know, let their parent know, let their tutor know, let me know, like, and they need to be pushed and, and um and helped to perform to the best of their ability like any other student. They shouldn't just be, oh, no, they're Aboriginal, we'll let that pass. Um, that's one of the biggest problems. So um, being aware, as soon as you're aware of those, um, you start, you notice it more in, in your actions and, and what you're um, presenting and doing with the kids. So educating yourself and making a conscious effort to hold those high expectations for all students in your class, no matter their background, um, will make a massive difference. It's really exciting to hear both, uh, you know, the the learning that that you and the folk at Scotts have gone through, but not only that, how you've in, intentionally then introduced things and programs and practices that affirm who who those boys are. Um, as as part of your project, do you observe this interaction with the mentors and, and the boys, particularly around um, language and other practices like like dance, um, and 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 those things were beneficial to to the boys. What advice would you give, or recommendations would you have for schools in integrating local practices into their curriculum? Um, especially for students from diverse cultural backgrounds, but also acknowledging that that there might be many students who don't understand their fellow students' sort of cultural practices and things like that. I guess um, in terms of the Darawal um, mentors and um, using mentors in a cultural sort of program, um, one of the things that was key to success is, and I sort of mentioned it in my report, um, was that after one or two sessions, the first 10, 15 minutes of the program, the boys just spent time interacting with the mentors. They were just checking in, talking about what they'd done for the week. It was all very casual, um, greeting one another. And I think if I had interfered and went, no, 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 we're here to, you know, I'm paying these people to do a job, <laughs> Um it would have, those relationships wouldn't have formed as they did. And so that, those, I guess, um, moments that were not actually part of the program were really part of the program in a way, if that makes sense. Um, and, um, yeah, were key to them developing those um, those strengths and those relationships. And I think in terms of other schools, um integrating local cultural practices and things. Um, the boys wanted to dance. They were interested in learning the language. It was something we discussed and talked about and it wasn't forced upon them as well. So I think in terms of what you choose, you can't just sort of choose something and you think it's going to be a great idea and it's connecting with their culture or whatever and then just throw it on them and expect it to work. Um, it's got to be something that they're interested in and want to sort of participate in as well. Um, and in terms of teachers concerned about 
their place and that, as I said, yeah, that fear of um, stepping on people's toes or saying and doing the wrong thing, that's where connecting with the local community and council and, and your parents is key because I, I constantly ring up my parents and just say, hey, and just what about this? Is this all right if I do this or should I do it this way? It's And it, and they're more than willing to help. But as I said earlier, it's you can't expect everybody else to take on things for you, that you've got to take that responsibility yourself. The connection to the theme of this project was also around masculinities and you particularly focused on um, boys' views on Indigenous masculinities and you used a particular masculinities vocabulary rating scale to try and understand the changes in their views um, on their masculinity as Indigenous boys. Um, How would you suggest that other schools could use similar tools to help students from marginalised communities to explore and understand their identities in meaningful ways? Yeah, so there's there was very little research well, there has been very little research done on indigenous masculinities and so initially i was quite stumped when i <laughs> sort of um started and i didn't know where to turn what to do and um yeah so i developed the survey because i needed as you said a way to monitor any change in um the boys thinking so when i implemented the surveys i made sure that the boys understood what it was for, why I was getting them to complete it. I kept it sort of short and simple and I also shared the results with the boys um, as part of the project but I've sort of been doing other bits of surveying and things with the boys along the way and always sort of come back to them and share them and, again, just getting their input and their voice is sort of is key and, and um, in the direction. Um, and I think what was also important was using the boys, the boys' parents in the development. So again, as a non-Indigenous person, I'm reaching out to community, to the families, to the boys to help um, implement. I facilitate everything, but the the knowledge and the direction is coming from them. So no matter what topic, I guess you're you're wanting to explore, um, the parents' insight is highly valuable. It was actually the parents who came up with the idea of having um, in my rating scale I had a present and future approach it was um, Indigenous men are and Indigenous men should be so what the boys thought Indigenous men are like but what they would hope them to be in the future and it was the parents that came up with that idea Um, and it would never would have occurred to me to sort of think about it that way they were sort of saying you know there's there's I guess stereotypes and there's um, uh, I guess how um not just stereotypes, but what actually a lot of the boys do see in their communities and things in terms of, um, again, that intergenerational trauma and all the issues that they face and what they sort of observe and um, see in a lot of men. And But there's also what they, they wish them to be and um, and those few sort of key mentors and adults in their lives that they do see that stand out and what they hope to be as well. So that was really, really important to have that in there. Um, and without that parent voice... I wouldn't have had that. So I think in terms of schools um, using similar sort of tools, again, if you're working with um, cultures and marginalised communities and stuff, have them involved in the process. You you speak a lot about parents and you've mentioned it a couple of times. Um, It it seems to me that 
parental involvement in educational programs, particularly around supporting the cultural and identity development of students from marginalised communities is really, really important. I think what people need to understand is there's a form of very real grieving that comes with sending their children, their sons, to boarding school. Um, And as my parents stated, they want the best education for their son, but in order for them to do that, they have to make this massive sacrifice. Um, And I think parental involvement for all boys then is, is key to ensuring that we're providing for all their son's needs because we know about certain things. We know boys, we know what boys need and things, but there's that cultural side of things that we don't know and we don't understand and without their important support, we're missing a massive part of their um, development, I guess, um, and supporting them in that. So, yeah, the insights I get from my parents really direct my my program and and where I go so I I regularly um I bring the parents or fly them all in from across the country and we have regular sort of meetings and I um as I said I random sort of text messages here questions phone calls things like that there um just for little things along the way but um in terms of my I guess strategic plan and where I sort of take the program I incorporate their voice um and the boys voice constantly so um yeah i think it's it's imperative that you in you use your families of these boys of various cultures as i've developed relationships with my parents it's now got to the point where they are a lot more comfortable coming to the college and and now have offered to run programs themselves and work with other boys in the college so um, that has been amazing and something, again, something I didn't sort of think about. It just sort of happened naturally. But as they feel more comfortable, they are wanting to get involved at a much higher level. So I've had parents come down to our Glengarry, our outdoor ed program, and stay for a few nights and work with the boys there. Our outdoor ed program is about, um, so it's for our year nine boys, and it's, I guess, a bit of a... Um, what does it call, like a rite of passage sort of um, thing at, at Scott's. And so um, these two parents, a husband and wife, said, you know, their sons were down at Glengarry and they said, we'd love to talk to the boys about um, the path to manhood in our culture and um, and sort of relate it back to sort of Glengarry. So they came out there and, th- and that's what they did. And it was just amazing. And the parent feedback from the other boys and the feedback from the staff and the students has just been phenomenal. So um, it was really, really lovely. And they want to do it again and again and again. <laughs> um, so building that relationships, even though I guess it was I was seeking um, help from them and things, but by doing that you build that relationship with them and then they want to be more involved and then it sort of spreads and, yeah, it's been really, really amazing to watch and see. Um, a, a closing question for you just before I ask Laura to to share a little bit more about um, uh, what's up next in action research. What was the most rewarding for you um, in this process, Justine? I think it was knowing that what I was doing was actually making a real difference. I It wasn't that I just 
thought it was working because often I've had moments like that in my career where I thought this is working and then later on realized actually no (laughs) that was not the best way to do something um but I know it's working because I have the evidence to prove it Laura in closing you have a cohort currently in midst of their research and applications uh, have closed for the next cohorts and those invitations have been sent out to people what kind of things are we are we going to be exposed to we have what we would consider a healthy masculinity part 2 um that the, our current cohort will be reporting on in um London this summer at our next conference you you heard that enthusiasm and excitement in Justine's voice this current cohort is the the t- theme the topic is balanced boys promoting healthy masculinity beyond the classroom so you can look forward to some great research next conference and then we have just sent out invitations to our 2425 cohort and they are going to be investigating the very um, important topic that you mentioned earlier, Bruce, of belonging. It's entitled Boys and Belonging, Facilitating Inclus- Inclusivity, Diversity, and Connectedness. Thanks so much for sharing that, um, Laura. So much to look forward to. Justine, thank you for sharing. You know, I know you've put your heart and soul into this work and it's what you do on a daily basis. And you've just been so generous with your thoughts and I've shared some real nuggets of insights and I know people are going to take a lot away from this conversation. So, so thank you to you and Laura for all the work you do. Uh, Thank you both for giving up your time um, to record this episode. Thanks for, thanks for asking. It's an honor to be here, Bruce. Yeah. Thank you so much. As we wrap up this episode, let's just reflect on the insights shared that stand out for me as both enlightening and actionable. Justine's pioneering work in fostering a research-driven, culturally inclusive environment in boys' education is not only inspirational and aspirational, but also lays a practical foundation for educators globally. Her strategies and experiences underscore the profound impact educators can have in nurturing and guiding boys through their educational journeys. What a powerful reminder of the influential role educators play in the development of the whole boy in our schools. Let IBSC know how we can support you and your work with boys. As always, thank you for listening and keep on championing boys' education.